0: So, God has set it up that way. <clears throat> well, we skipped uh, due to illness and so on, and I was out of town uh, having a, a service here last week. But here we are as usual. And uh, I want to pick up again today the story of our forefathers that we we're to look back to and learn from. And we've come down to Jacob today. Jacob is a remarkable person, and there's a great deal written in the Scriptures about him. In Hebrews 11, it does not say much, just that uh, he conferred the blessings on his sons at God's will and and in his order. But in the actual story of Jacob, there are quite a few chapters devoted to him, to many of the highlights of his life, Uh, so we can learn much from Jacob who became Israel and whose descendants we are let's pick it up today in Genesis 25 which has to do with his birth Uh, then it goes on with the story of of Isaac some more but uh, here in verse 21 Isaac entreated the eternal for his wife because she was barren so he wanted children by his wife and couldn't have, just as his mother Sarah had been. And the eternal was entreated of him, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. Uh, and she said, if it be so, why am I like this? And she went to ask God. Apparently there was quite a tumult going on in her stomach as those twins Uh, were very very competitive even at that point and she wondered because she had heard stories of pregnancies and of twins and it wasn't normal to have that much violence going on in one womb so she went and it was so bad that she went to ask God about it it was beyond normal by far apparently and the Eternal said to her two nations are in your womb and two manner of people shall be separated from your bowels. So, two nations, two different peoples, two who would lead different nations, and when nations get together, there is generally conflict. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. So there was a battle of, for supremacy going on, even before those two were born. And uh, it had become become quite an issue with her. So if Jacob and Esau had trouble in the womb, certainly they would have tumult and trouble and competition as as, uh, children and as as adults. And we will find that uh, even today in the end times, that conflict has not ceased. It's still going on. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first first came out red, all over like a hairy garment. Uh, have you seen children born like that? Once in a great while, I've seen kids that were had quite a bit of hair on them. But he, was, he had red hair all over his body. They called his name Esau, or Red. Uh, I guess they could have named him Harry, but... <laughs> <laughs> it was red hair, so they called him they called him red. Just as a sidelight, there are people who claim that uh, Israel or the black people. Uh, have you ever seen a black person who had red hair or blonde hair? Not unless they were uh, a mulatto or of mixed race, and then it's usually a very strange red and uh, sometimes the skin, is difficult for them as well. So the black people are black, and the oriental people are brown with black hair for the most part. And the only way you'll find reds and blondes uh, is in some element of Abraham's children. And then through intermarriage it can occur in other places. But that's where it began. (coughs) So anyway, Esau is not an Israelite but he was of the seed of Abraham and Isaac, and therefore was red-headed. And after that, so it said up there that the elder would serve the younger. After that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. The first thing he did when he was born, they must have laid Esau there, and then they laid, when Jacob was born, they laid him up beside Esau, And the first thing that Jacob did in his life was grab his brother's heel. Now apparently that's what had been going on in the (laughs) womb. They had been grabbing and grappling and fighting with one another even before they were born. And it continued just as soon as they were both breathing air. His name was called Jacob. Now Jacob means heel catcher or supplanter, in the Hebrew is what the name means. So he would go on to supplant his elder brother, uh, the birthright, the blessing, and so on, and uh, we'll find that persistence is one of the great qualities of Jacob. Whatever he went after, he went after pretty much wholeheartedly and persistently, His methods weren't always uh, upright, but God apparently overlooked the issues that he may have had in the way he went about it at times because of uh, that great characteristic of uh, being one who held on, who was persistent in what he was after. That is a good quality to have. Anyway, he was named supplanter or heel catcher. Incidentally, there are at least two places, maybe three I know of, right here in this area, where in the rock art or the petroglyphs on the canyon walls, you have a stick figure grabbing the heel of another. I don't know of any such petroglyphs in the Middle East, but the story of Esau and Jacob is written in the rocks right here in this area there's you a hint and a clue anyway Isaac was 60 years old when they were born and the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter a man of the field and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents so Esau was from the beginning very much an outdoors type Jacob uh, says was a plain man dwelling in tents the word plain here might not mean much to you Uh, I looked that up and wrote it down here somewhere Uh, where did I put it I don't even know where I wrote it down now but it basically means of high morals it can mean gentle it can mean dear or loving is uh, Hebrew for plain here so Esau preferred or Isaac preferred Esau because he did eat of his venison but Rebekah loved Jacob so they played favorites there from the very beginning Esau was his dad's boy and uh, Jacob was somewhat of a mommy's boy That doesn't mean he was necessarily effeminate, but he had qualities that endeared him to his mother, whereas Esau had some that endeared him to his father. So that is clear from the very beginning. Is it good that we like or love some more than others? Well, not always, but that's just human. In Christ, even the preferred John above the others he was closer to him and and loved him more or cared more for him or enjoyed his company more than he did the other disciples <coughs> so while it can create problems in a family it isn't necessarily wrong I think we should understand that we think that we should have equal desire or kindness or love or feelings for all but that just isn't the way it is. This is the way that life is. I think God the Father will always prefer Christ above us. I don't see a problem with that, do you? (laughs) After all that he's been through for us and all that they've been through to bring us to their kingdom, I don't think there's anything to be jealous of. Now, Satan was not even a son, and he got jealous now that created all kinds of problems, so uh, we should never be jealous of the position of Christ above us as our husband, as our elder brother, and all the offices, king of kings and lord of lords that he will hold. Anyway, Jacob... Uh, made some soup up and Esau came from the field and he was faint he would probably hunted all day long and climbed mountains he was very very tired and Esau said to Jacob feed me I ask you with that same red pottage I see some red soup there and I want it for I am faint therefore was his name called Edom so that shows right there he was a redhead and uh, red soup red hair Uh, There's another reason that he was called red. Now, Jacob did not use any subterfuge. He didn't lie. He didn't steal in this case. He just made a business proposition. Now, he was a plotter and a planner, a thinker. And not only a thinker or a dreamer, but he was also a doer. So, he knew that Esau was out hunting And he had probably seen Esau come in very, very tired in times past. And he may have fed him in the past, because he liked to cook, apparently. And anyway, uh, Jacob had a plan figured out, and this time he wasn't just going to hand the soup over. He had something different in mind. And Jacob said, sell me this day your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what point shall this birthright do to me? I am so hungry, I'm about to fall over, and the birthright's not doing me any good. I want that soup. So he put self-gratification and immediate reward ahead of the long-term blessings that he would have received had he had the birthright. So it shows that Esau uh, was, in that sense, selfish and wanted his immediate physical desires taken care of more than he did long-term security and what that could bring. But Jacob, named supplanter, uh, had continued this competitive thing and he wanted to be in charge. He wanted to have the birthright. So he figured out a way to get it and he didn't even lie and cheat and steal. In this case, he just made a straight business offer and Esau took him up on it. Jacob said, Swear to me this day. I'm not just gonna let you pass this off. Uh, this I wanna I want you to swear. And he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and uh, little soup, and he did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now He knew the story of Abraham, of Isaac, and now his own experience with Jacob. And he knew from his parents that the birthright was to come down through whom God would make many nations. So he was aware of that. And therefore, when he gave it up so lightly, he despised it. He didn't think it of any value. And he even said so. What good does that do me? I'm hungry. Without vision, the people perish. God expects us to have vision for the future. Esau did not have, but there's one of the great qualities of Jacob is that he looked and planned far ahead. He wasn't just for today and today only, but he had ideas and thoughts and dreams, and then he was a man of action. He went about uh, establishing what he had wanted to have. he's persistent he was also acquisitive wanting to acquire and under right conditions there's nothing wrong with that either we want a crown from God and there's nothing wrong with doing everything we can to be sure that that crown is given to us when God makes up his jewels And he tells us how to go about it, to love one another, and to love him with all our hearts, and to speak often of him. In other words, that he be the center of our world, of our universe, of our lives. And that which God was going to bless him with, he wanted to be sure he had. Now let's turn forward to chapter 27, because this goes on through... Isaac, and then as Isaac dies in the end of 26, we pick up the story then of Jacob. It came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim that he could not see, he called Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Behold, here I am. He says, I'm old, don't know when I'm going to die. He says, I've always liked your venison, take your bow and go out and get me some venison and make it good for me. Cook it the way you do, just just the way I like it, and bring me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, I'm sure he was aware at that point that the birthright had already been sold, but he had not yet conferred blessings upon his sons, so that's what he said is, I want to bless you before I die, so make me my favorite meal, and then I'll bless you. Now, Rebecca heard when Isaac spoke to Esau his son, and Esau went to hunt. And Rebecca said to Jacob, "I heard your father speak to Esau your brother. Bring me some savory de- uh, venison before I die." And she says, "Now, I got a plan here. <laughs> I want you to do what I say, Jacob. Go to the flock, fetch from me two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for your father, such as he loves." Now she had seen Esau cook up meat for his dad. She knew what herbs or what spices or what seasonings that he used in that meat. So she was going to take goats, which are somewhat similar to venison, uh, and and, uh, they don't have a lot of fat on them, as deer do not. Uh, uh, Beef would have been different. The taste is altogether different. But goat is not that far removed from venison. So with some spices... She could make it where he wouldn't know the difference. And perhaps his taste buds and his sense of smell had somewhat diminished as well as his eyesight. Who knows? But anyway, she was able to do it in such a way that he would be fooled by the taste. And she said, You bring it to your father, that he may eat, that he may bless you before his death. I don't know how far Esau had to go or how hard a hunt it was, but there must not have been deer just around behind every tree. Because they had time to kill a lamb, or a goat. It wouldn't be a lamb, it would have to be a goat. Lambs are fatty also, and distinct. They had time to to kill the goat, and to prepare it, and to cook it, and to feed it to Isaac before Esau got back. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. So... Uh, he says, "I can't fool him. He feels my, he feels my smooth arms. he'll know I don't have the pelt that Esau's wearing. Uh, he might feel me and see me as a liar, and I'll and bring a curse on me, not a blessing. His mother said, "Upon me be your curse, my son. only obey my voice and go fetch me them. So he did that, and uh, she took goodly raiment from Esau, his clothes, had his smell on them probably, and put them on Jacob. And then she got the skin of the young goats, which would be very hairy, and put them on his hands and around his neck. And she gave the spiced meat and bread and into the hand of Jacob. So they had some chicanery, some uh, subterfuges, some lying here. this has always kind of puzzled me that uh, a man like him who God was going to use greatly uh, would use these methods of course it was mostly his mother here who convinced him to do it and yet he went along with the plan now his desire for the blessings was very very strong and those overrode uh, any conscience that he might have had now Maybe we can learn something from that. Jacob was not perfect. His mother was not perfect. They made mistakes, and sometimes they used chicanery to get what they wanted. Now, is that good? No, it isn't the best way to operate, and we shouldn't have to lie and cheat and steal. On the other hand, Jacob's qualities were such, and he was so strong in so many ways that God was willing to overlook uh, flaws in his character and bless him anyway. In other words, does sometimes God use us in spite of ourselves? How many of us could say that we're perfect? How many of us could say that we've never sinned or lied or stolen or done any of those things in our lives? Probably none of us. Well, I know none of us because Christ is the only one that didn't sin. But we still are candidates to be in God's kingdom in spite of those sins, are we not? So the men of God were not perfect. We simply have to face that. The only man of God who was perfect was Christ. And we've seen errors and flaws in some of our other fathers of the faith as well. So we're not to look at the mistakes they made as an example for us to follow. We're to look at the mistakes they made that we not make those same mistakes, and also to understand that God is a merciful God and will use us sometimes in spite of ourselves. And I don't know how many hundreds of times that I have made that prayer, that God would use me and and teach me and help me understand in spite of my stupid self, because that's the way we all are, and we need God. So, there's a big lesson, I think, to learn there, in that God is a merciful God, and sometimes we can make errors, but He was merciful with David, He was merciful with Jacob, and with Abraham and Isaac and Noah, who got way too drunk, and others. Uh, So, we are here to learn what to follow, and also to learn what not to follow. So, God was able to use Jacob anyway because he had other very, very strong characteristics. Anyway, to continue the story, uh, she took the the food in, and 18 he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? Uh, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. So there's an absolute outright lie. Now, he had become the firstborn, had he not, by buying the birthright. But he wasn't Esau. (laughs) That was an outright lie. I have done according as you ask me. Arise, get up, sit up, eat of my venison, that your soul may bless me. Well, it's just an outright lie. I don't think there's any way to justify what was done here. Now, God intended Jacob to have the birthright, but God could have worked it out in a different way. But his mama and son took it into their own hands and did not use proper methods. Anyway, Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the eternal God brought it to me. Now, there's another lie. It was out there grazing in the field, and he went out and caught it and killed it. Well, in one sense, yeah, but not in the way he meant it. God didn't cause a deer to come to Jacob, who was posing as Esau. Isaac said to Jacob, Come near, I pray you. He, He smelled a rat here. That I may feel you, my son, whether you be my very son Esau or not. Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, That's Jacob's voice. But those hands are the hands of Esau. <laughs> he got hair all over them. So he was almost blind, and I think all of his senses must have been somewhat impaired at this point uh, that he would not be able to discern the difference. He discerned him not because his hands were hairy, and he blessed him. And he said, Are you my very son Esau? Oh, yeah, I am. He lied again. He said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, my, that my soul may bless him. And he brought it near, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. So he had a meal of venison and bread and wine. And his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field which the Eternal has blessed. So he may have used those clothes to hunt in. He may have had deer scent and blood on them. And he smelled like an outdoorsman. So there was some sense of smell there at least still remaining enough that he could be deceived. So then... Under these conditions, he went ahead and gave the blessing. I think that also, also shows Jacob's, I mean, uh, Isaac's uh, character, in that when he found out that he had been lied to and cheated, he had already conferred the blessing, and he didn't back out on it. How, how could he do that? It had already been given to Jacob. He could have said, you lied to me and I'm taking that blessing away from you and I'm going to to give it to Esau where I intended. But he didn't do that. He had already conferred it. So he said, therefore God give you the dew of heaven uh, and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. So that means all kinds of physical blessings. Let people serve you. So he would be in a position of, of great power. And nations bow down to you. Uh, Has that happened in Israel's history? Certainly has. It's true today. Be Lord over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone that curses you, and blessed be he that blesses you. Now that's quite a blessing he confers here. Power, wealth, everything you need, and cursing and blessing on anyone who does either of those to you. (coughs) And as soon as this had happened, here comes Esau with a deer on his shoulder. And he also had made savory meat and brought it to his father and said, Father, rise, eat your son's venison and bless me. And Isaac said, Who are you? (laughs) I'm your son Esau. Then Isaac knew he had smelled a rat. He shook all over exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that's taken venison and brought it to me and I've eaten of all before you came and have blessed him and he shall be blessed. He says, I can't take that back. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. And he said, your brother came with subtlety and has taken away or has stolen your blessing. Is he not rightly named Jacob or supplanter? He supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not preserved a blessing for me? Well, Isaac was going to wholeheartedly bless Esau. So he had given him virtually everything in his heart and mind to bless him with. I can understand why Esau was a very, very bitter individual from then on. But on the other hand, uh, we cannot let bitterness take over. Because God should have been the God of Esau. But Esau became the God of Esau. And he became inward and bitter and angry and hateful. Anyway, Isaac said, verse thirty-seven: I've made him your lord; I've made him your boss. And all his brethren have I given to him for servants. All your children, all your servants, will be his servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. I've given him all the physical blessings. And you know what's left to you. I'll, I'll have to think about this. Well, what can I? What can I bless you with? Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O oh my father. And he lifted his voice. So he, he wailed and cried. Uh, you know, when we take physical uh, gratification just for what we want at the moment, often we suffer for it. And here Esau was very bitterly suffering. So, verse 39, Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the view of heaven from above. Now, in a sense, what he's telling him is I've already given that to Jacob and you're to be Jacob's servants so you'll dwell in the same area at least uh, from the, for this time basically that uh, Jacob has. By your sword shall you live, and shall serve your brother. So he would be in the area to serve his brother. Now it shall come to pass, when you shall have the dominion, that you shall break his yoke from off your neck. So he says, you will serve your brother, he will be your master, Uh, you'll live in the same areas, and you'll have some of the same blessings that he has, because you'll be near him. But there will come a time when you will break that yoke or that leadership and rulership from off your brother's, off your neck. Now, the book of Obadiah goes into that, speaking of Esau, and shows that here in the end time, Esau will prevail and break the yoke of Jacob from off his neck. And he will laugh and congratulate himself. Uh, Esau, his descendants are known as Edomites, and they call themselves Jews, but aren't. Uh, that's why the Rothschilds and others have the red badge of Esau as their, as their sh- on their shield, because they're Edomites. And those elite of the world, who call themselves elite at least, will break the yoke of Jacob off their neck. We will be defeated. And Esau will have a big part in that, as this indicates right here. So this is a far-reaching prophecy, and we are almost to the time that this is going to happen. Uh, There are very, very many right now who are very angry that the damage that has been done to America by the last few presidents is trying to be righted at the moment by one who claims he's going to make America America great again. Well, I don't want to get into politics, but he is not going to make America great again. I can tell you that based on the authority of Scripture. He may try, and we don't know for sure just whose sides he's on. That doesn't matter. The point is, God has made a judgment that Esau and his henchmen, his affiliates, his uh, allies, uh, the king of the north, the Assyrian will defeat America and be taking us into captivity and killing most of us by the sword, by famine and pestilence and a sword will come after those who even go into captivity so this blessing if you can call it that that he gave Esau would be that in the end time he would uh, shake Jacob off his neck but he would not prosper in that God, said he, God says in Obadiah that, and in other prophecies that he will then punish Esau for what he does to Jacob. <coughs> so America will be great again, but it isn't Donald Trump that's going to do it. It's going to be Emmanuel the king who comes to rule in the millennium and makes Israel great again. And that's when Israel will become great again. It's when God and his son set up their kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. That's when Israel will again be great, and not until then. So don't get any false hopes up. <laughs> this thing's headed for civil war, according to Jeremiah, and for revolution, <clears throat> and then it is headed into slavery. That's what the scripture says, and I believe it with all my heart. <clears throat> so I won't take sides in politics. I already know which side God's on, and I know what God's going to do and it doesn't matter what men do, that is going to come to pass. Anyway, <coughs> Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, when the days are mourning from my father at hand, I will slay my brother Jacob. So that's how deep <coughs> the hatred went <coughs> after all this had transpired. And the family talked about it and they counseled Jacob to be careful and in verse 46 he was to take a wife of the daughters of Heth uh, because he didn't want them going to Gentile peoples to find wives now in chapter 28 (coughs) Jacob uh, Isaac told Jacob go to Canaan and specific house your mother's brother Laban And God bless you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, that you may be a multitude of people. So Isaac not only had conferred the blessing, and then backed it up, but here he tells Jacob, that's the way it's going to be. I caused that blessing to come on you, despite yourself, and it's going to happen and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your seed with you, that you may inherit the land wherein you are a stranger which God gave Abraham. Now remember, Rebekah had been told that the younger would take uh, control over the elder uh, when the, the twins were born. So Isaac knew that. Now, his heart was on Esau's side because he preferred him. But he had to have remembered what Rebekah had been told at the time the twins were born, or before they were born, what was in her womb. So he accepted that, even though he didn't like it. So he sent him away. Uh, now, verse 8 is an interesting thing about Esau as well. Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, Uh, he went to Ishmael and took the wives uh, which he had. So he went to Ishmael, which was the uh, son of Hagar, who had been cast out into the desert and would become twelve nations, but they would not be Israel. Uh, They would not have the blessings of Israel. But Esau knew that would displease his father, so there was a spirit of rebellion there. Now I'm sure that Isaac explained to Esau what had happened while they were still in the womb, and that God had made this call, even though Jacob had lied in order to make it happen. So it was God's will. And it was not really Isaac that Esau was rejecting, it was God. Because God's will would be, or had been, and would be that Jacob would be uh, the son that would receive those blessings of Abraham. So Esau did this knowing full well what he was doing. He was just an outright rebellion. He just would not accept God's judgment in this matter. And that's what, of course, uh, Samuel was told. (laughs) They, They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. Because when we reject those whom God sends, then we are rejecting God. That's very clear in Scripture. Anyway, another highlight in Jacob's life is down in verse uh, 11. He came to a certain place and stayed all night because the sun was set. Couldn't travel in the dark. He didn't have headlights. Uh, and he took up the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. I guess you want your head propped up even if it's a rock. It's better than lying without something under your head. So he dreamed a dream that night. I guess having your head on a rock would tend to do that. But on the other hand, this was a dream from God. Behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. That was a long, long ladder in the dream. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the eternal stood above it, So he was at the top of ladder in heaven in the dream and said, I am the eternal God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon you lie, to you will I give it, and to your seed. So obviously he was in the land of Canaan. And your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread in all four directions, Uh, And in your seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now we'll see that blessing conferred again later on. And behold, I am with you and will keep you in all places where you go and will bring you again to this land. He was going to go other places, but he would be brought back there. For I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you of. Now that's in a sense quoted in the New Testament where Christ said, I will never leave nor forsake you. Uh, We might forsake Him, but He won't forsake us. And He will bring us where we're supposed to be if we obey Him. So He woke up and said, God is in this place, and I didn't even know it. And that scared Him. When you have that kind of a dream, it scares you. It really, really does. And He said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And I suspect that that was at the place that the temple would ultimately be built right in, up here in Jerusalem. And probably very near where we have found what appears to be where Jacob slept that night. The inscriptions are on the rock, and it does appear to be the case. Uh, it's a geological uh, rent in the tent I mean, in the, you know, well the tent, the, uh, the tabernacle, or of the temple that was rent when Christ died. And so it's a geological depiction of that, I believe. Anyway, he rose up early in the morning in verse 18 and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it and called it Bethel, or that is, the house of God. And it had been called Luz at the first. It's called that in uh, Ezra 5.8, but it was renamed Bethel, or the house of God. That's what makes me think that the temple was ultimately built in that location, and will be again very shortly. Jacob bowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me. Now, this dream really shook him up. He was afraid. He was excited. Uh, God had appeared to him and told him directly that those blessings of Abraham would be his. So, he vowed a vow. He says, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, those things had been conferred by his Father in the blessing. So, he says, if God follows through on those blessings, so that I can again come to my Father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. So, this was a form of conversion where he made a commitment to God after seeing this dream. Now, he had been reared correctly and had known about God, but there comes a point in all our lives where it has to be a personal commitment. And in that case, this was his. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you shall give me, I will surely give the tenth to you. So he pledged his heart he allocated the place that the temple or the house of God would be and then pledged a tenth of his whatever wealth God would give him so that's pretty firm commitment he made we have a nation of people today who have trouble with commitments well here's an example from uh, our father Jacob make a commitment Make it strong. Make it powerful. Mean it and live by it. Now, God could overlook some of the mistakes that Jacob had made because he knew that this was the kind of man who would make that kind of commitment. So, even in trying to get the birthright and in receiving the blessing, he had showed that kind of commitment. That shows you right there But he wasn't a girly man. He wasn't an effeminate type. He may have not been an outdoorsman as such, but he had a powerful, strong personality. I think we've looked upon Jacob as being kind of a a mama's boy, maybe in the wrong sense. Uh, He became an outdoorsman, as we shall see. When he went to work for Laban, he was outside... As a rancher with the, the, the cattle and the flocks and the herds. And he did that for 20 years. So he, had he been maybe a, more of a house dweller and more of a thinker than Esau, uh, he became more of an outdoorsman as time went on. Uh, you have to take care of the flocks and the herds no matter what the weather. And you're out living out of doors most of the time, or were at that time didn't have a ranch house and a bunkhouse everywhere. So he made a very, very powerful commitment to God. I think that's an important thing for us to understand because God tells us that we are to come to Him and give Him our heart, mind, body, and soul. that we are to be totally committed to God above father, above mother, above children, above houses and land and all those things. And I think all of us here to one degree or another and to a great degree in order to follow God and follow his truth gave up our friends, our relatives, and then our jobs, sometimes our mates, and now we've even given up our homes and lands to come here. So that's what God told us to do. We're to be a committed people. That's why he doesn't like lackadaisical people. Well, Jacob had showed early in life by fighting with Esau in the womb and then grabbing his heel and hanging on even when he was born and he didn't turn loose until he had what he wanted. (laughs) Now, we want the kingdom of God above all. We won't turn loose until we get what we want. Now, God tests him again on this here in a little bit. We'll see that. Anyway, uh, he went on to the east uh, looking for wives, I guess, where he'd been told and uh, there was a well and a rock rolled over it and uh, there were people there. Verse 4, Jacob said to them, My brethren, whence are you? Where do you come from? We're from Haran. Uh, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? He was looking for him. Yeah, we know him. And he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, comes with the sheep. So he's looking for Laban, and doesn't find him immediately, but here comes his daughter. And it he showed, it showed a lot more interest in the daughter immediately than he did Laban. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day. It's not time that they should be gathered together. Water the sheep and go feed them. And they said, We can't till they all be gathered. And when he saw Rachel, uh, his mother's brother, uh, he rolled a stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, before that, it said they rolled the rock off. Now, Jacob was no weakling. He wanted to impress this girl, so he flexed his muscles and he rolled it off by himself. No, no mean trick. And Jacob kissed Rachel, lifted up his voice and wept. Lisa. Uh, was this love at first sight? <laughs> he saw her, he rolled the rock back, and he gave her a kiss. I don't know what was on the forehead and what. I'm sure it wasn't uh, a passionate type kiss. But he cried. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. Um, Laban heard this news and ran to meet him and kissed him and embraced him. Uh, Brought him to his house. So it must have been a holy kiss that Jacob gave Rachel, just as Laban gave him a holy kiss. And we're told in the New Testament that we can confer holy kisses on each other. Uh, We've kind of gotten away from that in American society. And when men kiss each other, it has a totally different connotation. Uh, But some nations and people still give each other a kiss on the cheek. We're just not comfortable with it. Anyway, he said to him, Surely you're bone of my flesh. And he stayed a month. And then Laban said, verse 15, You're my brother. Should you go therefore and serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be. So, you you know, you're kin. I'm not going to let you stay here and and work for me and not get paid. Now, he didn't intend to pay much. And uh, he cheated him, as we shall see. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now, Leah was tender-eyed. Leah means tender as in weak. She must not have been perhaps real strong physically uh, and was, was weak. Some children are stronger and more powerful both mentally and physically than others. So tender-eyed is kind of a, uh, doesn't mean anything to you or to me today in English, but in Hebrew it meant uh, tender or weak or, or timid or not strong were the words that you could use. But Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. So she was put together very well and looked really good, and uh, Leah was just the opposite, apparently, of what Rachel was. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Uh, I guess you're the best of the bunch, in other words, so stay with me, and yeah, I'll let you work for me for seven years. Now, this is interesting in contrast to when Isaac got his wife. Uh, She was given to him, and she went home and married him, and... He didn't have to do a thing, except send a servant and give her a few gifts. Well, here he has to work seven years to get his bride. And he doesn't get her right off the bat. He has to work seven years first. Now, there's a long engagement for you. Seven years. But he was willing to do it. She was the apple of his eye. Now, God tells us we're the apple of his eye. So I think there's a parallel here uh, with Jacob became a prince of God as we shall see and Christ is very very devoted to his wife to be Uh, he loves her as the apple of his eye with all his heart spiritual Israel whom he will come and marry and he's willing to work for her he was willing to come and die for her he was willing to put her first in his life and Jacob did the same with Rachel. So the parallel here is, is very beautiful. <laughs> Laban said, it is better that I give her to you. Anyway, he served seven years, and they seemed to him but a few days for the love he had to her. So when you, days whizz by when you're having fun. That's the one I'm going to marry, and seven years didn't seem like a long, long time to him. So when he'd worked seven years, he says, Give me my wife. My days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. So he'd been waiting all this time. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went into her. Now this feast, I am sure, must have included a lot of wine. (laughs) I don't know how else. Because there was a great contrast between the two girls. And Jacob was so blinded at that point by something that he didn't recognize the difference. Now, it may have been dark in the tent, and it may have been that uh, they had a veil or coverings over Leah so that he couldn't really see who she was. But wouldn't they have talked? Wouldn't he have known the difference in her voice had they talked? Uh, wouldn't he have known the difference somewhat in figures after being around for seven years and what one looked like and the other didn't? Uh, So he must have been impaired, that's all I can think, by probably a lot of alcohol. Because he was with her all night long and never figured out who she was. Anyway, it came to pass in the morning he woke up Oh, my, my, my. Uh, That's Leah. That ain't Rachel. (laughs) He said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? You know what goes around comes around? What had he done to Esau? What lies had he perpetrated on Esau? And now he got the, the short end of the stick here. What have you done to me? Just like Esau had thought, What have you done to me? Did not I serve with you for Rachel? Wherefore then have you beguiled me? You've lied to me. You've cheated me. You've. you've. Oh, he was beside himself. Laban said, Hey, it's not done in our country that the younger is given before the older. You ought to know that. <laughs> no, the deal had been, That's the one I get. And Laban said, Well, I didn't tell you that. So this is the one you get. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this also for the service which you shall serve with me. Yet seven other years. So he says, all right, (coughs) give Leah a week, and this time instead of making you wait wait seven years again, I'll give her to you after a week, and then you can work seven years. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also to Rachel, and loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Now God didn't like Jacob's attitude toward Leah. So he opened her womb to have children, but Rachel was barren. Now, here you have three generations of barren women that weren't really even that related. Uh, Sarah, and then Rebecca, and now Rachel. That must be, have been quite a test that God put on these people, and, uh, and it was a good test to have. So then uh, Leah started having kids, and she looked on her affliction. Uh, Reuben means, see a son. And they said, now I've given him a son, maybe he'll love me. Because she felt like an unloved woman, which basically she was. And she did it again said, I was hated. She called his name Simeon, or hearing, God has heard me. And and then she had another one. And she keeps hoping that her husband will love her and be joined to her. It's not fun to live with a mate that doesn't love you that is a very very hard situation to be in and it really worked on poor Leah and then she had another one Now praise the Lord she called his name Judah or praise and quit having kids for a while and then Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob give me children or I'll die now that was a wrong thing to say uh, she did later die in childbirth <coughs> so what she said came true and he was angry at Rachel she says who do you think I am God that I can open your womb and <laughs> I can't do that we've been trying it ain't working she said alright go to Bilma, her my maid and uh, have a kid for me uh, and, and we'll call it mine the same way Sarah did with Hagar Sometimes people learn real slow, you know. One generation doesn't learn from the last. Well, did God tell us to go back to these generations and learn from them or not? So, uh, she brought a son. Verse 6, Rachel says, God has judged me and has also heard my voice. So she called his name Dan, a hire. She'd hire Bilhah to have the baby. So they called him a hire. And then she had another son. Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name uh, (coughs) Naphtali, which means my wrestling. And this goes on and on. And uh, then Leah had another one. And then uh, there was some chicanery among the women. And, it, and Leah had another one after getting the, the pot of uh, or basket of aphrodisiacs up there. They called them mandrakes. And she had a sixth son for Jacob. I'm not going reading all of this. Uh, let's go down to verse 22. Uh, well, 21, it mentions, mentions Dinah as a daughter. It doesn't usually mention the daughters. But Dinah became important a little later on in the story, so she is mentioned here. Uh, Dinah means judgment. A judgment came later on. Anyway, God remembered Rachel in verse 22, and opened her womb, and she conceived, and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. So, uh, Joseph in Hebrew means adding, or adding another, or in modern parlance, give me another one, was her attitude. Uh, So, when Joseph was born, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children, and uh, I'll go. And uh, he said, appoint me your, your wages, and I will give it. Verse 29, he said to him, You know how I have served you and how your cattle was with me. I've been your herdsman. For it was little which you had before I came, and it has now increased into a multitude. So he said, Laban, when I got here, uh, you didn't have much. And I have been very, very good at breeding your cattle and your sheep. And now you have lots and lots of them. The Eternal has blessed you since my coming. And now when now when shall I provide for my own house also? So he says, I've blessed you, I've helped you, and wasn't that part of the blessing that would come on him? Is that those he blessed would bless him? And he says, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. You're not going to give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flock. I will pass through all your flock today, removing from them all the speckled and spotted cattle and all the brown cattle among the sheep and the spotted and speckled among the goats and of of such shall be my hire. So he says I'm going to serve you and he served him another six years breeding animals for him and taking care of all his ranching operation and so shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come when it shall come for my hire before your face Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep, it shall be counted stolen with me. If I have taken any that aren't, of, that aren't colored, uh, then you can say I stole them. Laban said, Behold, would it, be, would it might be according to your word. So that day he took all of those that had spots and speckles and so on out of Laban's herd, and he wasn't going to be given them, he was going to work for them. And then he moved away three days' journey, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. Now, here's an interesting story. Uh, Jacob took rods of green poplar and hazel with chestnuts and peeled white streaks in them and made the white appear which was in the rod. So he took these limbs, long branches or stalks of trees and peeled some of the bark off and made them into rods. And he set those rods before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink and they hopefully would do their conceiving when they were there around the water hole. They're not out eating they're at the water hole to get drinking and then they become amorous and and breed there. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle, ring-straked, speckled, and spotted. So he separated the lambs the same way. And uh, when he saw the stronger cattle, he put them in with the ring-straked and spotted bulls, and the weaker cattle he left out sides. So what he did was made cattle guards. It's pure and simple. If you lay a bunch of sticks in a row like a cattle guard we use on roads today, cattle will not cross it. So, this was not a fence or a corral that he put them in, which you could see from a distance, but he made cattle guards on the ground and put the strong cattle in there with his spotted bulls and spotted rams. And uh, so, over time, six years, most of the animals had spots and speckles and so on. Now, is he cheating Laban? Well, not really. He just had a very, very clever idea here. (laughs) He says, if I'm going to get the spotted and speckled ones, I'll make sure there's lots of them. Now, he knew Laban wouldn't approve, or he wouldn't have done it the way he did it, moving away three days. Anyway, he increased... Exceedingly, and had much cattle and maid servants and men servants and camels and asses and so on. In chapter 31, (coughs) Laban's sons began to notice this and said, He's got all the animals now. There's hardly any that are all one color. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and it wasn't real happy as it had been before. Uh, Laban realized that something was going on here, and he didn't like it. So God stepped in in verse 3. The Eternal said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So God was going to bless Jacob in spite of this deviousness that he showed. He didn't lie. uh, And in one sense, he didn't even cheat. Uh, But he did it. He held his end of the bargain. And we'll see that God was actually in this one. He told his wife, verse 7, "...your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times." Turn the page here, I cut my thumb, it's not working very well. "...but God has suffered him not to hurt me." (coughs) Now, she understood, because Leah was the first time he changed his wages... After seven years, he's supposed to get Rachel and got her. And I, I don't imagine that made Rachel very happy at the time either, because she must have loved Jacob a great deal uh, to wait seven years to marry him. And then Leah went in on a wedding night instead of her. That that wouldn't have been a happy day. So he said thus, the speckles shall be your wages. Well, he's, this is the deal we made. So he, he said, I made sure they're nearly all speckled. Thus, verse 9, God has taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. God gave me this idea. The cattle conceived, and I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle are ring straight, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And Jacob said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring straight, speckled, and grizzled, for I have seen all that Laban does to you. I'm the God of Bethel. That's where God, uh, uh, Jacob had made his commitment to God, where you anointed the pillar, and where you vowed a vow to me. Now rise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your kindred. So he retrieved all those wages that Laban had cheated him out of all that time, and God was with it. And apparently God put the idea of the cattle guards in his mind so that he would be blessed. Now, Laban had been blessed for blessing Jacob. And then when Laban mistreated Jacob and lied to him over and over and changed his wages ten times, God had said, those that curse you, I'm going to curse. So most of Laban's cattle went to Jacob. This is fulfilling the the promises that had been made. So God did not look upon this circumstance as chicanery because Jacob only did what he said he would do. But God says, hey, you want more? Here's how to do it. Well, let's uh, let's see where I want to go next. We're in chapter 31 here, or 30. Let's go on to 32. Uh, Here we have another encounter between Jacob and Esau when Jacob was going to go back to the land that God had given him, back to the land of Canaan. Uh, He went on his way, and and the angels of God met him. And uh, said, this is God's host. And Jacob sent messengers. They must have brought in the message, your brother's coming. And uh, (coughs) that scared Jacob because he knew Esau's attitude. He had vowed to kill him. And he figured that that vow was still valid. Anyway, uh, he, verse 5, he said he had asses and oxen and flocks and so on, uh, and he's afraid that these would be stolen from him and he'd be killed. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he comes to meet you and 400 men, and he was afraid and distressed. Well, you got 400 men marching on you, and you got most of your wives and kids, uh, and you know the guy's vowed to kill you uh, that would be distressing so he divided his wives and children into two groups put Rachel and uh, and her son at the back and trying to figure it out um, how to at least save some he says if Esau come to the one company and kill them then the other might be escaping verse 9 Jacob said O God of my father Abraham now here's here's a clue for you when you have trouble turned to God. He was distressed. He was upset, frustrated. So he turned to God. Uh, And God, the God of Abraham and Isaac, the Lord which said to me, return to your country and to your kindred and I will deal well with you. So he reminds God, (coughs) you said you'd do good to me. (laughs) When you go before God, He has more power and He can do as He pleases So sometimes we need to remind God of His promises. I remind God very, very regularly, I I think almost every day, that uh, you've told us that you will turn this thing around before the flesh fails before you, and we're getting old and we're failing in health and everything else. Uh, Please do this before we indeed fail before you. And uh, so I remind Him of that promise. Now, in the same breath, God says... Serve me with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. So I have to do my part, and you have to do your part in our commitment to God, so that He will then do what He has said He will do for us. But we have to remind Him of the promises, and that's something that Jacob did. He was an aggressive type individual. We've already seen that. So when He went before God, He claimed the promises. He's standing on the promises, as the old Protestant song goes. But he said, even in doing this, with a good attitude, I'm not worthy of the least of all your mercies and of all the truth which you have showed to your servant. Who of us is worthy of what God has shown us and taught us? None of us. So he says, why why did he say I'm not worthy? Well, he recognized God was greater than he, He also realized everything in his life had not always been done in the way that it ought to. So he says, I'm not worthy of these blessings you've said you'd give me. So he asked for mercy. He asked for truth. For with my staff, I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. He says, I'm scared. I've divided myself into two bands. So he says... I don't know what to do. Deliver me, I pray you, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. The mother, uh, the one he was most concerned about was, of course, Rachel and, uh, and Joseph. And you said, I will surely do you good and make your seed as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he reminds him of another promise. Yeah, i got all my wives and kids here, and if they destroy them, how am I going to become as the sand of the sea? So it's not wrong to remind God of His promises, and at the same time ask for mercy and forgiveness, and recognize that we don't deserve anything from God, but because of His largesse and His love, He will help us anyway. So that was his prayer. So there's a very, very strong characteristic of Jacob, is to go before God, claim his promises, don't be bashful about it but then have a right attitude not a self-righteous one as you go about it so he stayed there that night uh, and took what he had and sent a present to his brother a bunch of animals and camels and so on and they were delivered uh, to Esau Now let's come on down, and Esau turned out to be friendly this time. Now did God change Esau's attitude briefly? Esau hated him before, here he was friendly, and they got along okay for a short time, and then they departed, and Esau's hatred and bitterness came back again, and it was always with him for the rest of his life. Now let's finish this up with a very positive story. Down in verse 24. When they departed, Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him till the breaking of the day. So here was an all-night wrestling match. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled. This turns out to be Christ he was wrestling with, and Jacob wouldn't give up. Now, think back at the stories we've already seen, where Jacob... Didn't give up in the womb. He didn't give up when they were laying on the birthing table. He didn't give up on the birthright or the blessing. Uh, he was pretty persistent in going after the things that he wanted, needed, or had been promised to him. And here, when he was wrestling all night with someone who was obviously a lot stronger than he was, uh, he wouldn't give up so Christ finally just touched his thigh and it went out of joint he had the power all along but he wasn't using it he was was testing Jacob to see how persistent he would be now if you're to be a father of many nations you need to be strong you need to know what you're after and you have to be willing to go after it and he began to see that for sure here in Jacob didn't he test Abraham didn't he test Isaac well here he's testing Jacob he said to him, What's your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, which means a prince of God. For as a prince have you power with God and with men and have prevailed. Now he had conferred that name on him earlier in chapter what, 28, I think it was. Uh, but here he confirms it, that his name would be Israel. Are you a prince of God? Because you, uh, for as a prince, have you power with God and with men, and have prevailed. <clears throat> now, how did he have power with God? Christ was obviously stronger than he was, and when he touched his sign, put it out of joint. Uh, that clearly showed he had greater strength. Now, how had he prevailed and had power with God? I think more in claiming the promises and showing a a humble attitude and asking for God's help and deliverance. And then he proved that by staying with it all night long and in that sense prevailing or having power with God. So his personality uh, came out in this particular wrestling match. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray you, your name. (laughs) I gave you my name. What's your name? And he said, Wherefore is it that you do ask after my name? And he blessed him there. He he began to realize who it was, even though Christ didn't answer directly, just like he did not often in the Proverbs or the parables in the New Testament. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, the face of God, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So he knew who it had been. That must have been an awesome feeling. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted on his thigh. Uh, the Jewish history says that he limped all his life after having that dislocation. And that might have been a reminder of for him and for others what Jacob had gone through uh, and the the trial and the test that he had passed there to show that he had the power, the strength, the persistence uh, that is required to truly be a leader. And Jacob showed that here with God. So we need to have that kind of persistence and come to have that kind of power where we can claim God's promises and know that they will be met And do our part. And he showed here by wrestling with and not giving up all night long that he was willing to do his part. What tests, what trials will God put you and me through to be sure that we will do our part? He said after Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, now I know your heart. Here he said with Jacob, you'll be a prince before God because you have prevailed and you've stuck with it what did he do? he endured to the end all night long and what does Christ tell us in Matthew 24 he that endures to the end will receive these blessings so he showed great endurance here wrestling all night and we show endurance by wrestling all our life until we achieve what God has promised us. We'll stop there for today, for sake of time, but there's more to the story.